Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone, and welcome along to the show. I'm really glad you could join me, as in this episode, we're going to be speaking with Chris Coromandel. Now, Chris has an amazing life story, and we delve into that to find out about his childhood, losing his father when he was 16, discovering the importance of his Maori heritage, and now his work dreaming of the future in his role at Vodafone. We're going to get straight into it, and if you enjoy this episode, then you might want to check out some of the more than 200 others in the back catalog. What I'm trying to do is build up a database of inspiring people and hearing about their lives, their journeys, what's influenced them, and why they do what they do today. There's a lot more content over at theseeds.nz, and make sure to check out the show notes where I'll drop some links to different things that we talk about. Now let's get into this interview with Chris. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome Chris Coromandel, who's the Digital Innovation Partner Lead at Vodafone. Thanks for joining me. Good, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. We've connected several times over the last Mm -hmm. few months, actually, and I'm really interested in what's going on at Vodafone and some of the innovation and some of the new technology that we're seeing. But before we get into that, I always like to go back in time with guests and find out a little bit about where they're from. So in your case, could you describe a little bit about like when you were four or five years old, where were you living and what was that like? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up. Um, I grew up in Hastings, or back up in the Hawkes Bay, in the North Island. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the eldest of a, a family of four. Um, my parents. I think probably yeah. A lot of this has to do with my parents, the way that we were raised and brought up. Um, my dad worked a, a lot of labour jobs, but my dad was also an artist. Um, so for us, we kind of saw what f- hard working looked like um, day in day out mm-hmm. and my mum was kind of I guess uh, an advocate of the work that he was doing but also she would try and do odd jobs here and there mm-hmm. um, but we grew up in in Hastings um, actually to be honest I grew up in a place called Flaxmere which is a little south of Hastings uh, a low socioeconomic area um, a small community um, yeah just a small quiet place so how many people are we talking if you're looking at Flaxmere itself? Is yeah. It? <laughs> so back then, I would say we're probably uh, you might you might see about three thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, quite tight knit, quite close. It was almost like everybody knew everybody. Mm. There was one central city complex that everybody went to, and it's kind of like the only place you could go to where I grew up. Right. And the school that you went to was it there or was it? Yeah. yeah. So I did my primary years there. Um, we actually lived around the corner from the school, so I spent quite a bit of time um, back at school, after school, doing activities or sports, um, mm-hmm. playing on the playground. <laughs> yeah. That's a good location. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really good place. And you mentioned your father had a bit of artistic streak yeah. as well. What type of things was he doing? So he did a lot of um, airbrush artistry, so he painted a lot of vehicles, um, murals. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also quite innovative with designing new items or I guess, in his mind, inventions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I guess all kinds of artist work where it was taking paint to, to create something new. Is that something that he'd always loved his whole life? Or? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think since his time in high school was kind of the the path that was getting set for him and then working um, the odd jobs here and there was more or less just to help the family get through while he continued to do that sort of work. So uh, alongside that, he had his own business, Mm-hmm. Um, screen print, uh, screen printing, airbrushing, and doing a bit of mural work. Oh, that's cool! So he found a way for his passion for art to have a actual business as well. Yeah. 
So when you're thinking back to your primary school years and, you know, quite young, what type of things did you enjoy doing? Yeah, I, so I think probably the biggest part, if I think back to when I was when I was that young, a lot of it was exploring new things, experimenting, and that probably came from some of the work that my dad was doing, wanted to try new stuff. I've always been interested in, in solving puzzles, and that probably is what led me to the career I'm in today, but more or less... Um, finding new solutions to problems either I have, others have, or things that I could perceive being an issue coming up later. Mm-hmm. I've always had that kind of curiosity or curious thinking. In school then, what sort of subjects did you like? Were there some more than others? or I guess more the creative ones is probably the, the okay. route that I went. So I'd, you know, having a dad as an artist, I did a bit of art growing up. Graphic design was an area that I went to, some low-level architecture. I had that kind of design thinking um, creativity aspect and that's kind of what guided me through mm-hmm. but alongside that I've always been interested in technology as well and so I did a bit of um, electronics in high school and I also did a bit of computer science. And it sounds like you had a big family with three younger siblings right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was there also like cousins extended family? Was it a big community that you were part of or were you sort of on your own as a family? Or? Great question. We, a big family. So my mum is the youngest of 13. Oh, wow. And my dad is the second youngest of 11. So we've always had a lot Gosh. of cousins growing up. Um, and I guess beyond that, we've always had an extended family circle of close friends mm. and people just in the community that were real good connections to have. So you must have many, many cousins then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know the total number. Really? It continues to grow. <laughs> wow. Most of us can name, like, I can probably name, like, you know, six or seven or eight. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I can understand if, if both of your parents come from, what was it, 11 and 13? 11 and 13. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and were you close to your family in terms of, like, grandparents and things? Were they nearby? or One, one set of my grandparents were. But it was more or less, um, we had a strong um, connection with with our immediate family or with um, a handful of my cousins. I've got some that live overseas in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the other family dynamic or aspect was um, from our local church group that I was connected to quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. So we've always had kind of that um, wider family circle if there was kind of a a need to turn to then that's kind of where we landed mm. was one of those well it's amazing to i'm just still thinking about how many aunts and uncles you have <laughs> yeah. like to have what 20 23 24 yeah. aunts and uncles <laughs> so coming through high school did you know um you know thinking you've got your father as an example of someone who's doing art and you enjoyed that was that an area that you thought maybe i'll do that or the deciding factor that led to kind of where i'm heading or where i've started the journey was um unfortunately when i was 16 i ended up losing my dad to cancer um he passed away from um what they call osteosarcoma or cancer of the bone and it spread to a few different places within his body um being in high school at that time kind of early on i took on i guess the role or the mantle of um trying to be the father in the home or caring for my family and trying to take care of my family whatever ways i could provide and so i think Quite early on, I had, um, I guess, a notion of what I needed to do, kind of that, you know, the shoes that you had to fill. And so um, I've always taken the approach of um, taking on whatever the biggest challenge is and then just going for it. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I kind of weighed things up. And, you know, being in a, a, that small community, and um, like I said earlier on, it, it was quite low socioeconomic at the time, um, I, I kind of thought, well, you know, I need to expand my horizons. I need to find a career that's going to take me to new places and bring in new opportunities. Because at the end of the day, 
I've got three younger siblings and uh, my mum that I needed to to find support for. And yeah, so I probably bit off more than I could chew trying to fill those shoes. But um, I, I decided early on that I could see technology was a growing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd done some bits and bobs playing with things. I'd always loved playing with the new devices. And so I kind of made the decision that I needed to start aligning myself to a career in technology. Hmm. So that came quite early on, it sounds like, your realization. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. So what steps did you take to make it a reality, to go from that small little place to... So I um, I ended up living overseas for a bit. I was living in Australia for a little while, and at, at that stage it was kind of, you know, how can I get some money behind me to fuel me for my studies um, when I went back to tertiary. Mm. I ended up um, at high school trying to align myself with... Um, you know, taking on subjects that would make sense. So the computer science, the graphic design. Um, I've always had kind of a business mind mm. or strategic thinking. So participating in classes or courses that I knew were going to help me, you know, exercise those areas of thought. And then as it, as I approached university, I decided that um, yeah, in stepping into it, I thought that the dream career for me was going to be a project manager at Google. That was the end goal. That was what I wanted. I'd seen how great the office spaces were and you know the lifestyles that some of their staff get to live mm-hmm. and this was something that I wanted to take on for myself and so I positioned myself to do um, a business degree or business management degree and then bringing inside that some of the computer science papers and you know, understanding new technologies and mm-hmm. new programming languages so that I could try and merge the two into a career coming out of that. Yeah. And where did you go to do this study? So I studied at um, the University of Waikato. As you're studying it and thinking about technology and things, was that did you start to get a different idea of where you might end up? Or was Google and working there still what you were aiming for? Yeah, so it, it definitely changed over the course of my studies. Um, one thing that I'd grown up with, um, so my grandfather on my mother's side, he is um, quite a well-established leader, especially in... Um, the Hawke's Bay community um, for Māori affairs. Um, he had quite a few roles with the council there. He was on the Waitangi Tribunal. And so he's he's seen more as uh, within our family definitely as a leader, but within the wider community as that leader for Māori affairs. Mm. And during my time at university, I kind of... Um, I never grew up with that, um, I guess, my connection to my culture. But while I was at university, it became one of the things that became heavily exercised in my mind, I started finding myself participating in um, more courses that, um, I guess, brought that out. Right. I started getting involved with more of the, some of the networks or groups on campus to try and participate more. Mm. And I think as I went through my degree, more or less, I became less focused on the career outcome and started thinking, you know, what more could I do for my community back home? What more could I do for people just like me, that grew up like me in areas like me? Mm. And then what, I guess, what could I be as an example to them or what could I do to uplift them? Mm. So that's probably become the biggest driver from moving away from the, the Google lifestyle and right. you know, that kind of focus to be, you know, what more can I do here in New Zealand but mm. through the platform that I'm choosing in technology? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think we'll come back to that as we yeah. keep talking. I'm just curious, you, you mentioned, um, you know, growing up in that small, close-knit community and things. In terms of your Maori heritage and culture, was that a big part as a child as well? Or was it something, you you know, you mentioned later, it kind of became more important. So I'm just curious yeah. about that. So um, on my dad's side um, of the family, probably not. Um, both my parents are, are Maori. 
Um, on my dad's side, it probably wasn't too prevalent. On my mum's side, it, it was quite heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, but where our family, I guess, the disconnect came was more or less. Um, my fa- my grandfather was also a minister for um, the Dingatu Church, which is a, a Wailena and Māori um, church group. And so we kind of grew up heading in a different route, but still religious, but um, not exactly the same church. So we kind of had a, I guess, a distancing between our family because of that. And as a result, um, me and my siblings, our influence in, in Māori culture, I guess our heritage, we never really got that. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I think that's something that I'm noticing a lot of people are coming back to yeah. a- as they grow older. And, you know, like we're recording this during um, Maori yeah. Language Week, you know, yeah. and so you can definitely see a resurgence, can't you, of people interested in wanting to rediscover where they're from and their past and everything. Definitely. And I think touching on that too, a lot of it is um, either some people, from my experience, um, it's, it's either oftentimes maybe you've been too embarrassed to associate yourself with being Māori or actually sometimes you you don't fully understand the connection so it's easier to just dismiss it. Mm. And I think like you said, people more and more you know becoming connected to it because one, we're finding out more about ourselves mm. and two, the environment's changing to a time where you know we want to start highlighting and promoting mm. um, our diversity of thought. Mm. And just tracing it back then, just for the listeners, because there may be people out there who yeah. are on a journey, looking back for you, was there a, a moment or a point in your university life where you thought, actually, I want to start learning more about this? Or was it a gradual thing that over time it happened? Yeah, it was, it was definitely at university. Um, so there was a student, the, the management school that I went to, there was a, a Māori student network or student association. And um, for a couple of friends, I became quite um, interested in wanting to learn more about them and see, you know, what benefits could it bring to me as a management student in general. Mm-hmm. So I started becoming more involved. Um, and as time went by, you know, I started to realise um, there's a lot of benefit. I guess diversity of thought is probably the easiest way to encapsulate it. But there's principles that you grow up in, in Te Ao Māori or um, in the Māori world where it's, you know, directly applicable to business it's directly mm. applicable to to management and so when i went through that i kind of said well you know it's not really two separate things or two separate directions they kind of amplify each other yeah so bringing that in is kind of where i've i guess embodied that uh that feeling or that notion yeah that's really good it's actually come up as a theme recently on a few of the other episodes so i interviewed someone named vaughn winiata and so he grew up he does a lot in small business these days in new zealand but he was describing how it you know being on the marae and then leaving the marae it it stays with you whatever wherever you go (laughs) and i've been really um struck i'm actually doing some talks now about stewardship and the concept of kaitiakitanga and thinking beyond just our own lifetimes, you know, because yeah. it's such a powerful thing. And in the West, we often focus on, well, what's the next quarterly profit report yes. rather than like in a hundred years, yes. in 500 years, what will this look like for, you know, the people that we'll never meet, but there are great, great, great grandchildren. Definitely. It's that whole intergenerational um, thought, you know, we, whatever we do today is definitely going to impact the future. And then, I guess, more or less, 
what are the benefits that we can instill today that will flourish in the mm. future as well. Yeah. Well, I'd love to move on a little bit yeah. in terms of, I'd love to find out what you're doing today in technology. But before we do that, I just feel like I need to go back a little bit further. You described um, and the important role that your father had played in your in your life in terms of the artistry and, and arts and things. And you were old enough at age 16, you know, to have actually really known him. And yeah. I'm just curious to find out a little bit more about that time and, and his passing, if you're willing to go there, yeah. um, because I think it's always helpful just to remember people who've gone. Yeah. Um, and the context for this, it's uh, so, sorry for the long intro, but no. my wife's um, mother passed away when she was only four years old from leukemia. So for her, she has very hazy memories. So I always like to just hear, you know, as 16, that's pretty raw and vivid. <laughs> yeah. Can you just describe that time, I guess, and what were some of the things that you learned from your father towards the end? Um, yeah, that's that's a really great question, and oh, I'm happy to go there. And it, it's quite funny, I have, um, of my siblings, the youngest sibling I have is a brother who at the time was eight, so he's eight years younger than me. Right. And I see that kind of contrast between memories with my dad um, quite often whenever we're together. Um, it was definitely, I guess, towards the final stages. We'd been on this journey for what would have been uh, three to four years. Mm. And coming towards the end, you kind of see the, the gradual degradation of his health and, mm. you know, his ability to be able to take care of himself. And you you kind of become more involved. And I think because I was the oldest, um, uh, probably the most strongest to, or physically able to help support him, mm. um, I took on, I guess, a deeper role in, in helping with his care. Um, you know, one of the big learning things for me during that stage was kind of his um, drive to continue doing what needed to be done. Mm. And that's, I think, as I look over my life, I think of different um, scenarios where, or I guess, small little bits of knowledge or learning that I start to apply back even today. And for him, the biggest example, I guess the example he set for us was kind of that um, never give up attitude, always be doing whatever it is, regardless of you're the beneficiary or if it's somebody else that you're helping. Mm. Um, I think of the story of the, I, I butcher it every time I bring it up or talk about it, but there's a story about the everybody, the somebody, the anybody, the nobody, you know, it's a job everybody could have done, but only, but nobody did it. And mm -hmm. anybody yeah, thought somebody, somebody, somebody's doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of like, um, when I see him and I think back to the example of him, even in those final moments, um, he was always the nobody or the person that would still do it even if anybody or everybody should have been doing it mm. and so when I think about um, in my work life um, in my family life today I've got two um, small children I, I, I've kind of brought on that I guess embodiment that I want to start instilling or passing on to others mm. so it sounds like the legacy of his life has had a huge impact on you and your attitude and what you do today definitely definitely yeah yeah oh that's good well Turning then um, to sort of after your studies, <laughs> um, we're obviously here in Christchurch. Can you bring us up to speed with what happened next and where yeah. you got a job? Or yeah, how yeah. did you how so, did you end up where you where you are today? I I think yeah. If I speed through that um, from from my time in high school till um, the time I graduated university, I've had maybe thirty to forty different jobs. Wow, I've worked in. Um, canned food factory I've worked with a pet food factory I've worked in meat plants I've done a whole bunch of jobs and so I've got a whole bunch of different experiences but um, I guess what led me here to Christchurch today was um, in my final years of university 
Um, and I, and my, as, as, as I said before, my, my degree kind of morphed. Mm. Um, I did a Bachelor of Management Studies. I majored in electronic business or um, technology and business and entrepreneurship and innovation in my final year. A couple of friends and I decided that, you know, we wanted to put some of this theory that we were learning into practice. Mm. So we started a couple startup businesses. The first one, miserable failure, <laughs> but a, a huge learning opportunity. And I've, fi- I've found that, you know, sometimes you just have to put your hand up and go through the motions to be able to bring on that learning. And so the second um, startup that we started um, provided a lot of that learning. And as we went through that process, um, I graduated I ended up leaving that business and um, a job opportunity at Vodafone came up and that was directly anchored here in Christchurch in the Zone program. Right. So my time at Vodafone, and I've been with them for the last two and a half years, um, has primarily been in the Zone program, which was an incubator that was established here um, to support early stage businesses, especially in technology, mm-hmm. and then helping them scale to take them across the wider Vodafone family around the world. Mm-hmm. So being, you know, before coming here my university time anchor with startup businesses it was a natural fit to flow into a startup focused role yeah with Vodafone yeah that makes sense and coming to Christchurch had you known much about Christchurch before or no really (laughs) so I'd actually moved to the US just before the first earthquake um, happened yeah and I I came back a couple years later so I guess my only instance or knowledge about Christchurch was unfortunately the quakes Mm. Um, but since being here, I've I've grown to love this city. It's an amazing city, mm. and I think um, in some ways, you know, post post quakes, um, the city's done a real great job at rebuilding. Mm. The culture is perfect here. We I don't think we could find ourselves living anywhere else. Mm. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and just tell us a bit about Vodafone New Zealand. Maybe yeah. start there, and then I'm really keen to find out a little bit about what you are doing today and and you know, supporting startups and innovation and yeah, but maybe at the high level, yeah, tell us about Vodafone itself. Um, Vodafone, we've been here in New Zealand for um, just over 20 years now. Um, Vodafone originally started as a company as uh, Bell South, which was purchased by Vodafone Group and for the last 20 odd years or up till last year effectively, um, we were owned by the wider Vodafone Group. So um, today we, we sell mobile connectivity plans, we sell mobile devices through our retail stores, we sell broadband, but more or less our Vodafone's um, purpose at that stage was, you know, connecting people with the things that they want to see and do, Mm. Um, and that's through technology. Today, and uh, since, I guess, a year ago, um, we had a a bit of change within the business. So Vodafone New Zealand, as we know it today, was bought by two new investors. Um, One was Brookfield and one was Infratil, and with that came a whole change from the previous way of operation mm-hmm. into becoming what effectively and I'm proud to say is now a part locally owned business. So now we're you know we're employing New Zealanders with New Zealand customers owned by New Zealanders. So that, that, for me that's probably the biggest um, driver outcome what I've seen in my time at Vodafone. Mm-hmm. But what we've done in the past is you know provide customers with the services that have become commodities today, you know, trying to live without even mobile data has become even harder as time's gone by. Mm. But for the last 20 years, Vodafone's really been the, the organization, I guess, the business of helping to connect people. Mm. And you're quite involved, you know, in what you're doing with the Internet of Things, right? Yes. Like that's, that's a big part of 
the platform, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. I sit, yeah, exactly right. I sit in a, a different part of the business, more the forward thinking or the forward leaning side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's bringing the new digital technologies that we can use here in New Zealand to help amplify um, our customers' lives. Um, mm-hmm. My wider team is the Internet of Things team or the IoT team. And what IoT is in general, effectively, is connecting um, small everyday objects to generate more data to help us live better lives. Mm. And a shout out to Michelle Sharp, right? Who, yes. who connected us. And she was actually episode number one of Seed's podcast. So <laughs> um, it's still one of the best episodes that I did with Michelle. <laughs> so that's that's cool. And so you're working closely with her, right? Yep. Yep. So I report to Michelle. And, and, and my I guess my role in the team is I, I operate with the startups, but more so the partners that we can take to market alongside us to bring those value to our customers or those products to our customers. Mm-hmm. So it's 2030, 10 years from now. <laughs> yeah. what, sort of, what sort of world are we living in if, if you're thinking about the future? Like what, what can you, what, what's on the horizon or what are you guys thinking is going to be normal? Because what I find it interesting, if you think back 10 years ago from now, like it's 2010 and what we have today, like that's actually a huge amount of shift in what's available today, right? Yeah. Um, 10 years from now, that's a great question. I think... Um, and this is this is my personal opinion. I think that we're probably going to start living in a world where the experiences that we um, receive through a mobile device will just be merged or amplified or augmented in our external environment. So, without having to use a mobile device to do your your shopping, we'll start to see smart windows that will automatically tell us the best solutions. You might walk past the retail store and automatically your your reflection changes clothing to whatever the latest sale item is i think we'll start to see technology more immersed in our everyday experiences beyond the confines of a handheld device mm-hmm. um but touching on that 10 years time would be a great time so um speaking of michelle and some of the work that we've done um as a team lately effectively michelle joined us as our head of it last year and with that she brought a new strategy towards the business and with our new ownership changes we really took on a local first approach. Now we no longer had to um, be bound by the direction or the strategy of the, the European-focused side of Vodafone. We could start taking on a more local approach and start worrying about New Zealanders. And that strategy today um, that we've implemented is, is effectively impact-driven. So whatever we're, do, whatever we're doing, whatever the technologies that we're adopting or providing, what are the impacts that flow on beyond that? And so if I think back to that 10-year-from-now question as well, what, what would that look like or what would we see there? Um, selfishly, my my best, I guess, view of it would be that we'll see areas like where I grew up start to flourish in areas of technology and you'll start to see a lot more people like me uh, in these kind of roles. And that's my, I guess, my overall hope. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because something that you'd said was at university, you became aware that you wanted to get into technology to then go back and benefit, you know, people yeah. where you were from. Um, do you see practical ways that you can do that? Or, or like, do you go back to Flexmere and, and meet with people? Or, or how, how, can, how can that happen? How can pathways open or doors be unlocked so that yeah. more people can do that? It, that's a great question. It's one of the ones that I think more recently I probably had the hardest time trying to to get through. So there's a few ways that I think that it could happen. And um, to be honest, I haven't 
made it back to Flaxburg in quite a while now. I still keep connections with some of the people I grew up with, but I haven't personally made it back. Um, but one area, I guess, of trying to, you know, if we talk about digital inclusion and we're talking about lifting those people into areas of technology, um, I think the easiest pathway and the one that I've struggled with the most has more or less been on um, highlighting those that do reach this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for myself, I I struggle to talk about myself and my achievements um, and working with Michelle, who's achieved so much, it's quite... Um, a daunting thing but what I've found lately or more, most recently has been that without that highlights or with those people without them standing up to say hey look at me then you start to miss out on those examples for those younger generations to look forward to and I think if mm. I grew up in a time where I could see more and more exemplars of what I wanted to be like that might have made the pathway easier or faster mm. and so I think at least what, what I'm hoping to do is become one of those examples that can say you know you can do it too, or this is a mm. pathway that you'll be easily able to achieve if you were to take it on. Yeah, becoming like a model that yeah. people can go, oh, well, if he did it, then I can yeah. do it too. Yeah. Definitely. And, and, you know, growing up in, in those towns, it's easy to become um, you know, complacent or to say, you know, well, that's for others to achieve. I'm mm. more focused here. Yeah, it would be interesting to think through, and I'm only brainstorming here, but, you know, to think about actually going on a roadshow or going back to those little towns and having some sort of an event or, a, you know, come along and find out about these options and, yeah. and, and have people like you who stand up and say, I used to sit in that seat right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be, that'd be quite funny. My my high school class too. When I when I think back, um, I, I was fortunate to to be a, quite a bright student early on. Um, so in the classes that I was in, I was able to be in others well, classes with others who were achieving quite well. Mm-hmm. But when I think back to especially my final year at, uni, uh, at high school, um, I was in a high school with students that became Olympians, some that became professional rugby players, All Blacks. And I think about, you know, the caliber of some of these students in those communities or in the regions, um, you know, just that little push or just a little nudge or even the hand up, um, you know, so much more can be done to help uplift Mm. others in those areas. Yeah, it's interesting because I've interviewed a lot of people for this podcast and usually there will be somebody at some point in their life that spoke into their lives with a positive message and said, you're really good at that. You should do it more, you know, and that's often hearing those positive affirmations is something that then, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should work hard at this. Maybe I can. And yet oftentimes for us as the next generation now, you know, do we take the time to point out to the 12 year old or the eight year old, you're really good. You should, try that yeah and i think the i think with that the answer is yes i don't know what at what age we qualify ourselves to be able to to make those um assumptions or announcements but um that positive reinforcement is definitely something especially with the younger generation coming um Mm. you know they become so enveloped in technology early on that um, some, I guess, the learning curve that others early on we would have had to climb, mm. they they walk into it. So, those positive affirmations in the beginning would be a great 
um, benefit, or I guess, be able to instill a lot of confidence in those kids. Yeah. So you're working a lot with entrepreneurs. You're seeing people, you know, through the Zone program. You've mm-hmm. met many people. What are some of the characteristics of those entrepreneurs who are successful? Um, what do they bring to the table that's maybe different to the ones that are not as successful? <laughs> Is there any trends or things that you've seen? Um, sort of. I think when I think of entrepreneurial behaviour. Um, and what qualifies success at the end of the day it a lot of it can be driven but part of it relies on external factors so I wouldn't say it's the recipe for all success but my experience with those that I've perceived to be quite successful or have that entrepreneurial spirit um, we talk quite often about the hustle or the grind Mm. and that's when you're working not only a standard 40 hour week but you're you're doubling it you're working 80 hours you're trying to make those deals you're trying to get your business or your product launched um some of the qualifying factors that i've seen there is is hard work but more or less it's passion for what they're doing it's determination Mm. it's that um fighting spirit and it's not so much who spends the most time in the gym that comes out successful it's when they're there what are they doing Mm. what are they what are they working on what are they progressing and so I kind of contrast a bit about the the more hours you put in because my my um, feedback is always results. What are you pulling out for the time that you're putting in? Mm-hmm. And if you're spending 80 hours and you're only coming out with five hours worth of sellable work, then you're not effective. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess, the main part of it is the time that you spend and you give up other tasks or items, what comes out of that? And that's that mm-hmm. passion. Because by saying yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you've got that opportunity cost. Yeah, And so I think a lot of it is all about um, how, I guess, productive you can be and then what, what things can you bring on board to try and make yourself more productive or if it's not you that's able to become productive, who can you work with mm. that can help get that done? Yeah. And I've been into the, the building at Vodafone here in Christchurch and it's quite an impressive, quite new isn't it like yeah um, were you saying that it was one of the most highly technological sort yeah. of buildings itself yeah so we've had, we've had the Christchurch office and it's our South Island headquarters for Vodafone for the last um coming up almost four years now um and yeah that building when it was launched it was the most technologically advanced building um definitely in New Zealand but I think it may have even been at the time this, the southern hemisphere mm-hmm. um and a lot of that was you know, you work for a technology company and our customers, they're welcome to come and visit our buildings. But when you're there, you want to see it in action. You want to see what the future looks like in technology. How can, you know, we be immersed in this environment? Mm. And so that building was one of the anchors that helped us demonstrate that. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. So on a day-to-day basis, what are some of the things that you're involved in? Yeah, so I, being a part of the IoT team, uh, we, we have typically on our daily Task. We have a daily standard where we communicate some of the goals that we're working on as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, inside our building, I also house uh, a collection of startup businesses or really early stage ventures that are looking at this stage for a little bit of support and growth. We provide an environment for them to exercise that, but also have um, connections to Vodafone expertise within the building. Mm. Um, alongside them, we have others in the building who offer advisory support and services to help grow or amplify these businesses. So we've created, I guess, a small ecosystem or community of um, partners that can help drive some of these early stage ventures to, uh, towards the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where my work with, with Zone kind of 
anchors itself. Um, alongside that other parts of my role. So I manage here in, in Christchurch, we have a Vodafone 5G lab, and that demonstrates the benefits of 5G technology, what it could do for our customers, what it could do for people on the farm, smart factories, smart cities, what could the future look like with 5G. Um, so I manage our 5G labs here in New Zealand, and then also the other part of my role, and I, I think the most, um, the part that I enjoy the most is um, our partner management or partner relationships, and that's with those early stage ventures that become partners of ours to go to market, but also um, I also take care of the partnerships with the tertiary sector. And so that kind of feeds back into some, I guess, the wider journey I'm on to contribute back to university. But, mm. you know, building those relationships and those networks to be able to, I guess, do more or achieve more, benefit others. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's a varied role. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting role. And I think at the end of the day, it kind of feeds back to our strategy as a team within the IoT team, most importantly, um, you know, our mission is to enable New Zealanders to be the difference the world needs, yeah. and whatever whatever shape or form that that looks like. If you're on, if you own a farm and you're a dairy, or maybe you're a share milker and you want to have you know the best of the best of what your operations are, yeah. then we want to empower you with the technology and services that are going to help you achieve it. Yeah. If you're a teacher in a school and you want to be able to communicate effectively with your students then we want to find a solution that makes sense. And so I guess in all, and that kind of amplifies the wider Vodafone mission, is enabling New Zealanders to simply live the lives that they want to live, mm. but also bring in the best value and outcomes for the businesses that we have here in New Zealand as well. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Well, it's been fascinating to talk with you because I loved hearing about your background and the role that your father played, and then also your realisation that there was something that you wanted to give back to at university. Yeah. Um, and now it seems like you're in a position where that is actually possible. So I'll be watching with interest to see <laughs> what happens next, because it feels to me like there's actually, a, you know, there is definitely a need, particularly in the regions where people yeah. maybe wouldn't have the same opportunities um, to know that there's pathways into technology. And so it'll be fascinating to watch how this takes shape for you because I think you are in a unique position um, to be able to, you know, model this, like we said, for yeah. the next generation coming up. Thanks, thanks. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I hope I do too. I've got a lot resting on my shoulders with that, you know, so we take that in mind. But um, thinking back, you know, it, it's, with the example of my dad, it's kind of, you know, this is the job at hand and it just needs to be done. So mm. let's do it. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you. And um, yeah, I really appreciated your time. Thank you. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris. For me, I just loved hearing about his childhood and the influence that his father had played in his life and how that's impacted his whole life since. I'll be watching with interest to see what develops and, and how the position he's in now to empower Maori and Pacifica youth to consider technology as a career option. If you enjoyed this, then don't forget there's more than 200 other episodes in the back catalog, and there's heaps more about the show and what it's trying to do at theseeds.nz. Until next time!